Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast would be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. I want to read two scriptures today. I know someone may be reading and saying, well, Pastor, what happened to the identity statement? No. If you don't know who you are by now, if you're not clear that we ought to live the lives we are created to live and love beyond the limits of our prejudices and serve then we are doing the carpenter no justice. I want to lift two scriptures today. The first found in the book of 2 Samuel, the 23rd chapter. 2 Samuel 23, verses 8 through 10. In the New Revised, we are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you cannot remember all of that, and I think most of you have it memorized by now. But in case you're here new with us for the first time and you can't remember everything I just said, we have three powerful words. We, well, I'm going to say it differently. We live, we love, and we serve. Amen? Amen. I want, I want to lift up a passage of Scripture. But before I do that, I just want to remind us of a few things that on November 19th, November 19th, uh, the Hope Center, and you can uh, connect on the Hope Center's website or Hope Center's Facebook, but on November 19th at 7 p.m., the Hope Center will be having another healing conversation. That's a Thursday night, um, and they will be discussing the life of caregivers. Uh, you can find that streaming only on the Hope Center's Facebook page. That's Thursday, November 19th at 7 p.m. You know, in this season of the pandemic, we've often talked about those who have been suffering, those who have been sick, those who have transitioned. But we haven't always talked about those who've had to be caregivers, not just in the pandemic, but those who have to take care of loved ones who are sick and may have fallen sick and been sick for a long time. And every now and again, we forget that those caregivers can get weary. Uh, the caregivers can get sick themselves. And so this healing conversation is specifically directed for the caregivers uh, during this season. Also, don't forget our weekly digital engagement. We have something going on at FCBC every day, and we can't wait for some of our new programming that's coming in the new year. It's going to be a new season and a new day, and we thank God for that. I want to look at two passages of Scripture on today. Um, I want to go, instead of old to new, I'm going to go new to old. So in the New Testament, Luke 9, 
And I recently shared this scripture with our former, one of our former pastors at Pastor Willis Church at Greenwood Baptist Church in Brooklyn. But Luke 9, um, verses 57 through 62, and I'm reading this from the New Revised Standard Version as well as the Message Bible. Luke 9, 57 through 62. And in the New Revised Standard Version, it reads like this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In the Message Bible, this passage reads this way. On the road, someone asked if he could go along. I'll go with you wherever, he said. Jesus was curt. Are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best inns, you know. Jesus said to another, follow me. He says, certainly, but first, excuse me for a couple of days, please. I have to make arrangements for my father's funeral. Jesus refused. First things first, your business is life, not death. And life is urgent. Announce God's kingdom. Then another said, I'm ready to follow you, master, but first excuse me while I get things straightened out at home. Jesus said, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize, seize the day. Then I want to look at the book of Esther, the fourth chapter, and I want to lift the 14th verse, a very familiar verse. These are the words of Mordecai to his cousin Esther, or Hadassah. He says to Esther, for if you keep silence in such a time as this, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. In the King James Version, it says beautifully, maybe you were born for such a time as this. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you. We bless your name.
We honor you, O oh God. So much is still going on in our world, but in particular in our country. Things, O oh God, that on so many levels have raised anxiety, have deepened frustration. But God, just like the song reminded us, you're still working it out. You're still moving. You're still doing what you need to do. But God, deliver us from dysfunctional dependency. Because God, sometimes we're so fixated on what you will do, we forget what you've called us to do. So God, help us to lean into our own strength in this season. Lean into our own power, our own gifts, our own ability, our own talents. Maybe, oh God, just maybe, we are the ones that help will come from. Lord, we thank you. We love you. And we honor you. And it's in your name we pray. And we say, amen. I want to read um, that passage, just a script, a verse, verse 62 of Luke 9. I'm going to read verse 62 in the NRSV and in the Message Bible. Verse 62 in the NRSV of Luke 9 says, Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In the Message Bible, it said, Jesus said, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. And then to take that line from Esther 4 and 14, who knows? Maybe you have come into your royal dignity. Maybe you were born for such a time as this. I want today to speak from the subject and I do not take credit for this title, words from a poem penned by June Jordan in 1978. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Amen. Amen. Luke 9, 57 through 62, as I've shared in other spaces and places, is not an often preached passage of Scripture. In fact, this particular passage of Scripture found in Luke 9, 57 through 62 is considered some of the hard teachings, the hard sayings of Jesus. I'm often amazed at how Christians and even preachers alike have a tendency to pick and choose scriptures to make sense of their own theological or even we've seen political agenda. I've seen over years how so many people have pulled pieces of scripture from the Old Testament to justify certain prejudices they have. How even some have used certain passages in the New Testament to justify certain prejudices they have, especially with regard 
to gender role and men's superiority over women. I've seen countless people not exegete, but eisegete scripture, use scripture for their own personal interest, their own personal agenda. But what I've discovered in my years of preaching, teaching, just being a believer, a follower of the carpenter, is that of all the scriptures that are often co-opted, manipulated, misinterpreted, abused, it is difficult, it is extremely hard to do that with most of the teachings of Jesus. It is hard to manipulate certain words, certain teachings from Jesus, because if we're honest, some of those teachings are hard to handle, hard to digest. And even in Jesus' day, in some ways, they were even offensive. We have to always remind ourselves of that when we claim allegiance to the carpenter, when we claim to believe in the carpenter, when we claim to follow the carpenter, we must always believe not just in the name of Jesus, because we love to use that name. We've written songs about the name, but we have to also remember the radical and revolutionary nature of the carpenter's teaching, the radical, revolutionary, and oftentimes offensive nature of the carpenter's teaching. Just think about it. When you declare yourself a disciple, disciple of the teachings of the carpenter, you have enlisted yourself in a movement that at times is radical, revolutionary, but often offensive. I'm amazed by that because when I think of the offensiveness of Jesus' teachings, the offensiveness of Jesus' words at times, it's amazing how we can water Jesus down to a set of niceties. We water the teachings down in such a way that they become palatable to most of us, and when we water them down, we miss the radical nature of the teachings and even the offensiveness of the teachings. It's amazing that I've said this in other places that you have to be careful in so many ways when there's so many people who lay claim to the title Christian. I intentionally don't always speak that title, although we are Christians here in this assembly. You on your TVs watching, you all may be Christian, but if you've been around long enough, listen to me teach and preach long enough, you've often heard me refer to myself not just as a Christian, but a disciple who takes the teachings of the carpenter seriously. Take those teachings seriously. I say that because oftentimes there are so many people who find it easy to gravitate towards the title Christian. In this land right now, there are divisions that exist between people who claim to be Christian because instead of, teaching, of taking the teachings of the carpenter seriously, they've used the name Jesus, they've used the name Christian as a label to justify their prejudice, their bigotry, their abuse of scriptures, their misuse of scriptures for their own personal agenda. And what we've discovered in this season is that there are some people whose warped views of Christianity are so dysfunctional and so destructive that they have put those feelings, their theological, supposedly, theological and spiritual premises, theological and spiritual assumptions to the side, and they've allowed their political agenda to take center stage over their claim to allegiance to Jesus. We've seen it. We've been hearing it. Those people who will suspend their faith to follow and vote for a fraud. Those people who will suspend their faith because there was a time where their faith was at the forefront and they sought to hold people accountable for some of the very things they now let slide. 
by the one who was president. But you cannot use, well, no, you can use Christianity like that, especially when Christianity has become synonymous with the institution that seeks to reinforce oppression and sustain conquest narratives, that kind of constitutional Christianity. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about committing yourself to the teachings of the carpenter. Because when you commit yourself to the teachings of the carpenter, it is not an addendum to your life. It becomes the whole of your life. It becomes the way you see the world, the way you are in this world, the way you show up in this world is shaped by the teachings. So it's hard to show up as one who follows the teachings. I've heard people say, and they view scripture, and say things like, Jesus would be pro-life, would be anti-abortion. That's what it means. And I know for some this is controversial. But I already told you that Jesus' teachings are radical, revolutionary, and offensive. They would say Jesus would be pro-life. Jesus would, support, would be anti-abortion. And those same people who say that, are vocal about abortion, but then silent about over 500 children locked in cages on the border. They, they want us to believe that somehow Jesus would walk past the cages filled with children to go to the anti-abortion rally. No. You see, it is hard, hard to abuse the teachings of the carpenter when he says things like, until you become like these children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And here in this passage, we find another hard teaching. But when you read chapter 9 in its entirety, what Jesus says in 57 through 62 is not that challenging. If you look at chapter 9 as a whole, in chapter 9, he's spoken about his impending death. In chapter 9, he says that he has set his face resolutely toward Jerusalem and the cross. In chapter 9, he told his followers that in order to follow, in order to be part of this journey, you must embrace self-denial and the cross. If you heard those words from Jesus as you read through chapter 9, there is nothing outwardly appealing about being part of this motley crew. There is nothing overtly attractive like, what is attractive about the idea of hearing the one you follow speak about his death soon coming? What is attractive about the idea of facing the cross, self-denial? But sometimes we see what we want to see. We hear what we want to hear. And we get so caught up in what we see as the trappings of the movement. Crowds following him wherever he showed up. Miracles happening wherever he showed up. We get so consumed by the trappings of the movement that we will settle for the trappings and bypass the teaching. And not just bypass the teaching, but bypass the challenge of the teaching. The churning of the teaching. And so, Jesus, after saying that he was on his way, to Jerusalem, on his way to the Via Della Rosa, the way of sorrow and suffering, on his way to Golgotha, there's a man who sees him and declares, I will follow you 
wherever you go. Wherever you go. When I read this scripture so many years ago and even preached it for the first time as a student at Morehouse College, the one thing that jumped off the page in this scene is that word, wherever. There's some people now who will use that word wherever, only realize that their limitations inherent in their proclamation of wherever, wherever except. Wherever but. Wherever means wherever. But you see, Jesus' response says more about the person who makes the claim than the person's desire. Wherever you go, I want to follow you. Clearly, he did not understand the footsteps of Jesus. Clearly, he did not understand the way that Jesus was going. And Jesus does not get excited. Think about that. Those of us who are consumed with our churches and these ornate buildings and these large gatherings and who love to talk about followings and people who join and members of the church, those of us who are caught up in the numbers and the crowds and the throngs of people, we would have gotten excited. One more person now who joined the movement. One more person who wants to join. But Jesus' response is not shaped by excitement. He does not even give the impression that he's moved by the man's desires. He simply utters a warning in a strange way. In essence, he's saying, are you sure that wherever is part of your vocabulary? Are you sure that wherever is really where you want to be? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Everybody else got somewhere to be and stay but me. And you want to join this movement? I'm amazed by even some to this day who want to lead, who want to teach, who want to be followers, who want to be disciples, who want to be preachers, and wherever ain't part of their vocabulary. It's always conditional. We do this for other reasons, for notoriety, for attention, for fame, for the spotlight. We think somehow there's some prestige was coming with this. Well, you know what I've discovered? There is prestige that can come with the institutional and institution of Christianity and the trappings of the movement, especially when the institution and the trappings are disconnected from the teaching. But you need to hear the carpenter say, foxes have holes and birds have nests. But I have nowhere to lay my head. And you want to follow the carpenter and get mad at the first sign of inconvenience. When things don't work out and things don't go your way, you start pouting and get mad. But you want to go wherever. No. He announced this from the very beginning to this man. And I've said this at other times in other teachings that here at FCBC. He makes it clear that in this journey, don't think you'll get everything you want to fulfill the task. In this journey, do not think it will be easy. You may not get everything you want, but you will have everything you need. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but I have nowhere. I love telling this story. I love telling this story because if you watch it, these would-be disciples in some ways represent us at different points of the journey. One, the first one, excited. I'm ready. I want to do it. 
because I've been caught up in the shallowness of the institution. I've been caught up in the superficial nature of the institution. I see the crowds, the attention, the lights, the cameras, the action. I want to be down. And Jesus beats him back. And then there's another gentleman. Jesus says, follow me. In the moment. Maybe Jesus turned from the first man and shifted to the second man and saw the flaws of the first man, and maybe the second man was sitting there looking funny. Maybe the second man had thought the first man had utterly failed. I can imagine him looking at him with those twisted eyes and saying he messed up. Jesus turns to him and says, okay, follow me. Those two words sounded easy when Peter, Andrew, James, and John adhered to them. But man, it's a different ball game when the words are directed your way. Because follow me means follow, well, there's a third word probably should have been added, so permit me to take license. Follow me may mean follow me now. Follow me now. Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, when Jesus said follow me, they dropped everything. Left nets, livelihood, and lives behind. And this man came with what I knew, and I know he had to be quick. I can appreciate a quick wit. I know he had to be quick. He probably heard it. He knew he couldn't fail after the first man. He said, I'll do it, but, 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 but. Jesus, you know our tradition. My father's passed away. I'm the eldest son. I have to make arrangements for the burial. Let me first go home and take care of those arrangements. Jesus says to him what must have cut him and cut even us to the core. Those of us who've had to make arrangements for family members. Those of us who've had to take care of families and those of us who had to do things. Jesus said, wait, your business is life, not death. Hear those words. This is Jesus. These are the words that some of us would not want to place in Jesus' mouth because of how we have come to be socially accustomed to the way Jesus is culturally narrated. This is not the one of Kumbaya. He said, let the dead bury the dead. But your business is to announce the inbreak and the outbreak of the kingdom. Life business, not death business. These are Jesus's words. What he said is that of all the excuses you can make, this kingdom work, this kingdom proclamation, this kingdom agenda of making the kingdom live and alive here, visible and tangible and made manifest, this is your priority if you want to be a disciple. I said nothing about being a church member. I said nothing about being a frequent attender. I said nothing about being among the throngs of people who show up. But if you want to put your feet in the footsteps of Jesus and be a disciple, this work is center and circumference. This work is at the heart. And then the third would be disciple. I love the third one because he's had time, Dick and King, to look and learn. He saw the flaws of the first. He thought he wanted to go. He saw the second make excuses, but he tried to preempt it. Master, I'll go. I'm down. I'm going. But let me just say bye 
to everybody at home. Can you imagine him trying to bust this move on Jesus? You're going to go home and tell everybody you're going to give your life to follow the poor Jewish carpenter who some people love and some people hate, who some people think is a prophet and some people think is crazy, who some people think come from God and some people think come from the devil. That's what you're about to do. And they was going to be cool with it because here we know, we know the pressure of people we love can change our minds often. And maybe not even people we love, people we become dependent on. When we share sometimes our desires with those people, sometimes those people have a tendency to shape our decisions in ways that pull us away from our best possibilities. Jesus said, no procrastination. No. If you put your hand on the plow, that ain't enough. You see, because he thought when he said, I'll go, but let me go home first. I'll go with you, hand on the plow. Let me go home first, looking back. He said, anyone who puts their hand on the plow and looks back, watch this. You're not a bad person. You're not co-opted by Satan. You are not bad. He just said, you ain't fit for the kingdom. Think about that. No judgment. Like we love to do in Christianity. You ain't saved. You going to hell. No judgment. He just said that on this journey, in this movement, procrastination can't be on the agenda. Continually putting off, continually making excuses, continually not getting the job done, continually pushing things back because you ain't ready and you ain't committed, that can't be on this agenda. You're not a bad person. You're not an evil person. You're not unloved by God or even Jesus. You just ain't fit for the kingdom. How painful. When you spend your days wanting to be fit for people, but not the kingdom. Wanting to be fit for other relations, but not the kingdom. It's not that you can't do that. Let's be clear. I'm not saying you can't have a life and just kingdom, kingdom. But you, you want to be fit for the kingdom. Why come to church if you don't want to be fit? Why log on every week if you don't want to be fit? Why show up? for morning prayer and midweek motivation and Friday night live and wellness check-ins and pastoral check-ins and senior calls and multiple events. If you don't want to be fit, I don't want to be in the number and not fit. I don't want to be in the crowd and not fit. Fit for everywhere else, but unfit for the thing that's at the center of my life. The kingdom of God. What do you want to be fit for? I wish we put as much energy, some of us, as much energy in being fit for the kingdom work as we spend in being fit for other people's expectations and fit for other people's affirmation and think nothing. Coming to church, tuning in, logging in, don't mean you're fit. I know it's painful. You may be a great Christian. That don't mean you're fit for the kingdom. There's a difference. Why is there a difference? You know what I found out, Deacon Randy? There's a difference between being interested and committed. (laughs) 
Some people interested in the kingdom. Not everybody committed to the kingdom. You see, when you're interested, your interest is based on certain situations and circumstances. When you commit it, no excuses will do. That may be the deeper question or question for some. You interested or are you committed? See, interest will drive you to the building before the pandemic. Interest can make you stand in line on a cold day to get into church. Commitment makes you serve when everybody leaves. Interest will get you to sing. Commitment gets you to serve. There's a difference. Well, some levels this sermon is done. But I have to add this. Because in this cultural, political moment, there are some who still have a little anxiety. Even now, we celebrated last week, rightfully so. I said that last week, rightfully so. But, but the process ain't moving like we thought it would. Did we think anything different would come from the one who occupies the White House? I mean, think about it. He's fighting now not to be evicted. Welcome to that clan. No promise of a smooth transition. Lawsuit after lawsuit. This thing is being pushed and pushed. That's how politics works. They find loopholes and gaps. My focus is not on that right now. My focus is not on whether or not he'll transition. He's going to leave once it's all said and done, once everything is counted and it's certified that he's lost, he's going to leave. My grandma say, by hook or by crook, he's getting out. I'm not worried about that. If everything is certified and everything is done and we get past all the insanity of the courts, we know who our president and who our vice president will be. We know once again that the greatest margin of votes that helped him percentage-wise came from people who looked like me. And more in particular, sisters who showed up, black women, once again, who came out in numbers and did what was necessary to get done. I read somewhere that Joe Biden was the first president in an acceptance speech to actually thank black people for pushing him over. We've been doing that. This ain't nothing new. Country was built on our backs. We've been pushing it forward. On free labor from us, we've been pushing it forward. We didn't just start pushing this country forward. The wealth of this country is based on us. Everything this country is, its public stature, its global stature is based on its wealth. Its wealth is based on a slave economy. Free labor market economy built on our backs. Everything this country is, they owe to people that look like me. We've been doing this. The problem is we can help you out of some crises if you just let us help. We can do some things if you get your ignorance and your prejudice out the way. We can push it forward even more. I remember my, one of my mentors, one of my heroes of preaching, Garner Taylor, the late Garner Taylor, after 
9-11, he gave a sermon, and in the sermon, in the talk, he basically said, we can help you deal with terrorists. He said, we've been dealing with terrorists from 1619. We got centuries of learning how to deal with terrorists. He said, we can show you how to handle terrorism if you let us. It was Dave Chappelle this past weekend on Saturday Night Live who in his opening monologue that his CNN said was beautiful and incisive but painful at times. He said that half of this country that lost is wounded, hurting right now. He said that there's still police officers who feel targeted. There are people who don't feel appreciated. He said, if you want to learn how to work through those feelings, come talk to me. He said, because our whole existence has been having to navigate through not being tolerated, navigate through not being accepted, navigate through being targeted, navigate our way through being harassed and killed and brutalized and tortured. If you want to learn how to handle those feelings, come talk to us. We can help you. But push deeper. If this country is going to be what it needs to be. Stop looking for the next superhero to fly in. If we're going to be, this country is going to be what it claims to be. Just maybe in June Jordan's beautiful words, we are the ones we've been waiting for. You looking around for hope to come from another quarter. And you living in hope right now. You waiting for the remedy to show up. And you the medicine. You waiting for things to shift. Because you got questions. And you the answer. No. We are the ones we've been waiting for. And not just any old we. But we who've made a decision to follow the radical, revolutionary, offensive teachings of the poor carpenter from Galilee. We got a word for the nation. We got a way forward. Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Give water to the thirsty. Welcome the stranger. Treat the widows and the orphans like they are human beings. Stop letting your prejudice define your actions. And let love be the way. Stop searching when all you got to do is look in the mirror. You trying to figure out how we're going to make it out of this malaise? How are we going to heal this divide in the country? Check your birth date. Because maybe you were born for such a time as this. Maybe you were given life in order to give life. Maybe you were born for this season. As Mordecai told Esther, if you don't do it, God will get it done. But just maybe. He said, 
you've come to royal dignity. Let me put it. Maybe your experiences, your positions, your gift, your education, your experiences, your life journey, maybe all of that was intended for such a time as this. We are the ones. we've been waiting for. What happens to your life when you become your own hero? What happens to your life when you actually see yourself as the strongest person you know? You are the one that you've been waiting for. You are that one. We are the ones. The road is not easy. That's what the story of Jesus' encounter with the would-be disciples shows us. That this journey of discipleship is not easy. We may have moments where we don't have all we need. There may be moments where we realize the priority of our pronouncement of the kingdom. There will be moments where our focus and our hands must be in alignment. Our hands to the plow and our eyes looking forward. It's not easy. It's not easy. There's no steps to this. It's just commitment. You just can't be interested. You got to be committed. But all the things we see happening in this world right now, this country right now, I have to believe that we are the ones we've been waiting for. Tough road, rough challenge. But can I get to churchy for a minute? I'm going to change it up. We can do all things through the teachings of the one who died for us. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Come on, lean in a little bit with me today. Let's, let's talk to God. God, we thank you on this day. We are grateful, O oh God, to you and for you in our lives. God, there's so much we have encountered and experienced, but we are grateful that those encounters and those experiences have made us stronger. God, the greatest introduction that you have ever made and will ever make is when you introduce us to our true selves. And the truth is, God, you're waiting for us to ask for that introduction. When we meet our true self, nothing becomes impossible with you anchoring us, sustaining us, keeping us. And God, we are breathing for reasons. But we have a role to play. God, it's not that somehow we think as Christians, we're better than everybody else. No. It just means that we have a role to play to help this world become anew. That we lead with love, not hate. 
We lead with empathy, not dispassionate disconnection. And we put our hands in your hands while we join hands with one another. We, oh God, are the ones we've been waiting for. And we say thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We love you, Lord, and we honor you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.